Welcome to the Seed Time Money Podcast. We are your hosts, Bob and Linda Lodick. This is a hope-filled podcast that'll help you save, earn, give, grow, and actually enjoy your money. We don't hold anything back. We share everything that we've learned on our journey. Everything from being 100% broke to paying off our house by age 31, to finding work with purpose, to giving more than we ever dreamed possible, all while having a blast on this adventure that God has led us on. And if you want to achieve true financial freedom and design a life of eternal impact, this is the show for you. We are so excited to let you know that our brand new book, Simple Money, Rich Life, is finally out. Yes, and if you enjoy the podcast, we think you're gonna love it. And if you like hearing our friendly voices, then you should grab the audio book on Audible. And if you don't, then just grab the paperback, grab the Kindle. (laughs) And if you do grab a copy, we want to hear from you. So send us a message on Instagram or send us an email and let us know what you think. Yeah. And again, the name is Simple Money Rich Life, and you can grab your copy anywhere books are sold. Anywhere. Pretty much any place that sells books, they (laughs) should have it. Hey, everybody. We are excited today. Linda and I are both here. Yep. And we're interviewing Jordan Grummet. Mm-hmm. He's a doctor, the host of an award-winning podcast called Earn and Invest, which is a great one to check out. He's also an author of a new book called Taking Stock. And so this book is really cool. There's a lot of great things in it. And, and I love his perspective and his angle on a lot of things. So I'm really excited to dive in and just ask a lot of questions. Anyway, so Jordan, thank you for taking a few minutes of your time and chatting with us today, brother. Thank you for having me. I'm so excited for this conversation. Great. Us too. All right. Well, I want to start just with your story. You're a doctor and you're, you've turned into like a financial guru of some sort. <laughs> and like, it's just interesting. Like, you don't hear that every day. So like, how did that happen? How'd you get into this? What's your story? So when I was seven years old, my father, who was a doctor, also died suddenly of a brain aneurysm. Like oh, he wow. had a headache one day and he was gone. Oh. And I wanted to be just like him, right? I'm seven years old. Every little boy idolizes their father, right? Mm -hmm. Yeah. And so that became my identity. And I studied really, really hard. I went to as good of a college as I could go to. Ended up going to medical school and residency. I was living my best life, so to speak. But as I continued to practice medicine, I found myself getting burned out. Like there's a lot more paperwork, a lot more administration. Often that dream of rushing in the room and saving patients was just that, a dream. And it was a lot harder. And there's a lot of shades of gray and a lot of sadness. And so as I got to my 30s and early 40s, after doing this for 10, 15 years, I started looking for a way out. I was getting burned out. And I started looking at my finances and I was really, really lucky because I was born to parents who modeled great financial behavior. My mom, my stepdad had saved lots of money. They had their own businesses. They side hustled. They did these great things. They owned real estate. Yeah. So I had all these great financial teachings. I actually did most of the right things. I just had no idea what I was doing. I was just doing what they were doing. Mm. After bumping my head against the wall, trying to figure out if I could retire or not. And everyone told me I couldn't because you didn't have nearly enough money. A guy named Jim Dolly, the white coat investor, he sent me his book because I was writing a medical blog at the time. And he's like, I just came out with this book. Take a read. Please write a review on it. I read his book and it changed my life. It gave me like the vocabulary to understand my finances. And I knew I could leave medicine right away, which was exciting for about a moment. And then I fell into a deep depression because I had identified as a doctor for so long. It was the thing that connected me to my father. Yeah. Yeah. And I all of a sudden was talking about stepping away. So the next few years I spent time writing about actually personal finance, trying to figure out who I am. 
what has meaning for me? And that led to a blog and a podcast. And if that wasn't enough, when I got rid of everything in medicine, I didn't like what was left was hospice or taking care of the dying. And the funny thing was in taking care of the dying, as I did it more and more, I started finding answers to questions about money and life, things that I was talking about on my podcast. I wasn't talking about how you fund a 401k. I wasn't talking about what's a Roth IRA. I was saying, okay, now your finances are starting to be set. What does all this mean? And what does life look like after that? And I was finding my answers from the dying. And that's kind of how I ended up here today. Wow. All right. Okay. I'm just going to pinball around a little bit because I just have a couple questions. So do you find, or is it your experience in medical world that your experience, the burnout, the it not being fully what you expected, is that common? Yes, it's incredibly common. Part of the issue is, and it's almost like every major profession, right? You don't really know what being an accountant is like until you're an accountant. You don't know what being a lawyer is like until you're a lawyer. You might watch all those great TV shows. Um, Same with being a doctor. There's this glorious part about being a doctor, which is about one to 2% of the time where you are there in the trenches helping people being there for families, making the life-saving diagnosis. And that's great, but it's really the one to 2%. The problem is the other 98% can be a lot of drudgery. And especially over the last few decades, with the advent of computerized medical systems and paperwork, we just spend a lot more time in front of papers or computers and a lot less time with patients. And so the field has changed. Plus, you really never know what something is till you get into it. So a lot of doctors are feeling very burned out right now. The problem is you come out of medical school with $500,000 of debt. It's pretty hard to say, oh, I'm not going to do this job that pays me six figures anymore. I'm going to go do something else, which I'm not trained to do. It's it's really hard to walk away. No. Yeah. yeah. I mean, your experience, I don't, I can't say this with any authority, but just like my perception of a good number of medical professionals that I've talked to are obviously so good at their craft. Like they're they're so knowledgeable in what they learn about, but I found a good number of them just don't know much about money, even though they oftentimes have really good salaries. Again, is that common? Well, you know, we grow up with this idea that being a good doctor is really front and center of our life. And really, we shouldn't waste our time thinking about all those other things. So a lot of us figure we'll either hire someone else to do it or we'll do it on the side when we have time. But most of our real passion is being good at medicine. And we almost really push everything else away because it would reflect on the fact that maybe we aren't being as good of a doctor if we're spending time thinking about things like money. Mm -hmm. So I think a lot of us are not good at it for just that reason. I mean, I'm curious how you feel about that now, kind of being on the other side of it. Because like I I hear what you're saying, and I think there's a validity to that of like, I want to throw everything I have into helping people, right? But yeah, now that you're kind of on the other side of that and really passionate about personal finance, like how do you... How do you reconcile yeah. that? Like, where, where do you land it? Yeah. So here's the problem. I think mm-hmm. when we don't have control or at least knowledge about this one major part of our life, which is our finances and the way that our finances can be great tools and fuel to do those things that are important to us. When we don't feel like we have a good control of that, it really affects the way we do everything else. For instance, when I was coming out of residency, I could have gone into hospice right away. There were a lot of reasons I didn't, but one of the reasons is because it didn't pay well. Mm. And so at that time, I thought, okay, I can be a general internal medicine doctor. I can make a lot more. What I didn't realize is that I'd burn out a lot faster. Maybe I would have been better off being a hospice doctor, understanding my finances, understanding financial independence, and starting a good plan from day one. 
I could have gone and done something that was probably more a part of my purpose and identity, and I probably wouldn't have burned out so fast. Yeah. If I had done that, I might still be a full-time hospice doctor today, which is neither here nor there. I'm glad that I took this path and it taught me a whole new set of skills, mm-hmm. but maybe I wouldn't have burned out if I had been more thoughtful and understood my finances more so that I could yeah. make choices. I could work a little bit less when I was getting stressed out and know that I'd be financially okay. So that just right. gives us power like knowing and understanding our finances and power in the end to really do good because then yeah. it's one less thing we have to worry about and we can use that fuel to be more meaningful yeah. and purposeful. Well, yeah. yeah. And I think something that we share in common, if I remember, you know, one of the things we're always talking to our community about is this idea that money is a tool and it's mm-hmm. never the goal. You know, so much of the world wants to make it a goal. And I think that's fundamentally where you have a problem. I think I recall you saying something similar in some of your writing. And it's just so easy to lose sight of that when we're in a world that obsesses with making it the goal. And it's the end all and be all until you start getting there and you're like, wait a minute, this this is it? Like this, yeah. <laughs> this is as good well, as it gets. And I think it's easy too to do that when you are like, Well, I just spent all this money and now I'm in all this debt to do yeah. the thing. <laughs> like it really yeah. is like the cycle. Yeah. Yeah. And but the problem is that money solves money problems. Yeah. But it doesn't really give you a greater sense of meaning and purpose. And mm-hmm. I think we'll probably all agree that in the end, what builds a full and fruitful life for you is finding what that meaning and purpose are and pursuing it. Yeah. And not that kind of simple low-hanging fruit that money is. I think it's really easy to concentrate yeah. on money because it's a lot more difficult to sit there and say, what's really purposeful in my life? How am I going to achieve it? Mm-hmm. Am I going to forego extra money so that I can do this meaningful thing? And those right. type of conversations are really tough. It's a lot easier yeah. to just keep making money. Oh, yeah. yeah. And it, I think it's probably one of the easiest things to measure and to mm-hmm. quantify. And so it's some way of keeping score and feelings like right. checking something off a box, like having a to-do list. It feels good checking boxes, but at the end of the day, if the boxes don't matter, like you're just still wasting time. Mm-hmm. And it can be the same way with money where it's an easy way to keep score, but at the end you know, of your life, like, is that the thing that really matters? You know, whereas whatever the thing is, whatever your purpose is in life, I think some of the most important things are really hard to measure and quantify. And that doesn't make them less important, actually probably makes them more important, but Yeah. And you know what one of the major problems with quantifiable goals are, especially when it comes to net worth, loss aversion, like dream so much of getting to a net worth or being somewhere when it comes to money, as opposed to being happy and relaxed. Once we hit that number, we become immediately more stressed that we're going to lose it. In fact, probably Mm -hmm. doubly stressed than we were even before we had it. So loss aversion also kind of keeps us at bay and takes what we look at as these money wins or these money goals and really puts them in perspective that they don't necessarily, again, solve our problems, especially our anxiety problems about getting somewhere. I like that the less measurable goals often have more meaning to us. Yeah. Yes. I think you mentioned earlier, you've learned a lot of this, or you started finding answers through working with these hospice patients. And I mean, I'm always intrigued by that because one of my grandmothers, she was on hospice at the end of her life and we were so grateful. So I want to say thank you, first of all, because we didn't know how to care for her, but she had cancer and it was all through her body. And she came to live with my parents and I at my parents' house. And it was such a sweet time with her. Like it really was like the most beautiful time I've ever had with her. And I loved her, you know, it wasn't like we had a bad relationship at all, but there was something so vulnerable and just different about that time. And I'm curious 
like if you're working with all these people who are kind of in that phase of life where they've seen everything that they've done, everything that they've accomplished. And like, is there kind of a common theme or, you know, yeah, I would just love for you to share any of that. Well, Linda, I love your story. And because it really hits it right on point, when people find out they're dying, it actually lifts a weight off their shoulders. We Mm. live our whole lives worrying about what society thinks, what we're supposed to think, what we're supposed to achieve. It's probably the one time in life where you're allowed to drop all that and ask yourself a really big question. What do I actually want? Hmm. So the theme that comes up over and over and over again in dying patients is at some point they look at their life and especially if they haven't done those things they wanted to do, they really say something to the extent of, I really regret that I Hmm. never had the energy, courage, or time to do, you know, whatever comes next to climb Mount Everest, to spend more time with that family member that had meaning for me, to build up that skill or that hobby that I really loved, but I never spent enough time doing it. Whatever it might be for you, that's the theme. And what I never hear is no one ever says to me, I wish I worked more nights and weekends. Like no one ever (laughs) says that ever. No one ever says, you know, I built up my net worth to a million dollars, but I really wanted to hit 1.5 and I didn't get there. Mm. No one ever says that either. Usually it's what are the things people or experiences that really had meaning for them that they never had the courage to pursue. And so I think that's a really valuable lesson. And when people have done those things, the dying process can be very, very peaceful. And when they haven't done those things, we look for what I call the deuce ex machina, which is like, it's the last moment plot twist that we have in a movie or in a play that makes everything right. Like you never Mm -hmm. thought it was going to work. And all of a sudden you have that last minute plot twist. Wow. That's what happens when you haven't reached your goals is we try to help people get to that point where they can really work through those things and and maybe meet some of them. That's beautiful. But what if the dying could teach us not to need the last minute plot twist because we were thinking about the stuff when we were much younger before we got sick? Yeah. Yeah. So, okay. So that begs a question to me, because this is something that I think about probably more than people, I'm 41, probably more than I think the average 41 year old. And I don't know why, like, I feel like I've just heard this message enough and it's like trying to sink in, but do you have any advice for all of us listening, how to absorb this? Because I feel like we've heard variations of this Mm -hmm. and we've maybe gone through these deathbed exercises of thinking about this, but like, how do you pull this into everyday life to where it becomes a filter for your decisions of, should I take this job? Should I do X or Y? Like in light of that. My book basically talks about what I have really narrowed down now to a three-step process, right? Yeah. So the first step and the step we always mistake is a lot of us look at money and our finances and try to build that first. And then we start looking at purpose, identity, and connection. So in my opinion, the first step actually is we have to really start trying to define our sense of purpose, identity, and connections. Now in the Mm -hmm. book, there's some exercises that go through it and we can certainly talk about it. But for the point of the three-step process, thinking about purpose and identity first, once you have that in place, then it's time to build your financial structure. I believe everyone should go towards financial independence, but there are a few different ways to do that. And if you keep your purpose and identity in mind, you can be very thoughtful about which path you take. Mm. And then the last part, which I think is the most important to answer those questions of how much do I live in the moment now? And how much do I defer so that I'll have enough money to live to an old age and be okay? The last is really a question. And the question is, are you afraid of dying young and not using your money the way you want to? 
or dying old but broke? And if you can answer that question, it'll actually tell you how to start looking at how you spend your money today. If you're worried about dying young and never using your money for good, then you probably should be structuring your life in such a way that you take what you have left after you pay all your bills. Let's say you use 60% of your income to pay your bills and you've got 40% left. Someone who's worried about dying young and not being able to use that money should really be spending 30 or 40% of that on the things that are important to them now, mm-hmm. right? So we would say almost YOLO, you only live once, use that money in a way that's really important to you and do it now. And then maybe save the other 10% towards something like financial independence. Yeah. And so if your fear is founded and you die young, like my father, you've lived a pretty good life and used your money accordingly. If you're wrong and you don't die young, well, then you've spent 30 or 40% of your income doing things that were really important to you. And mm-hmm. you might not be able to retire at 45 or 55, but by saving 10%, as you get to 65 or 70, you'll be able to retire and you've been enjoying yourself the whole time. Yeah. The other side of the coin is if you're worried about growing to an old age and not having enough to fund it, then of that 40% that you have left over after you pay your bills, Maybe you put 30% of that away towards investments in order to fund your retirement. And then you only use that 10% now to do what's meaningful for you. And you'll retire early and then you'll have all that time and all that fuel from your investments to do those things that are important. So that's why that third question is so important because it helps you answer the question, what do I do today? Because that's how you measure out how much do I spend today versus how much do I put away for later? Yeah, Mm. that's good. Interesting. Have you read uh, Die With Zero? I haven't read it, but I know a lot about it because I've spoken to people often about it. So for a guy who hasn't read it, but has heard a lot about it, my only fear about a book like that is that it places a lot of importance on money. And it really, I think in a lot of ways, as I've talked to people, makes it sound like money is the key to living a good life now. I think money's a tool, it's helpful, but I think we can also live a good life now without as much money. And I think, especially after reading your guy's book, I see that in your writing too. Like, We can't wait till we have money to do the important things. we got to learn how to do those now. Yeah, Mm -hmm. no, completely agree. Yeah, so that book, there were aspects of it where it's like, yeah, we're not 100% on the same page. But one of the things that he talked about that I thought was interesting, kind of in light of this conversation we're having here, is this idea that there are certain phases or seasons of life where money can be spent and used more efficiently, for lack of a better term, than in other seasons. So whatever, for example, I don't know, going whitewater rafting, like this might be something that you do from when you have the money to go on a like five day whitewater rafting trip or something, maybe in your 40s to 55 range might be the ideal. But like once you're hitting 70, it's like, it's probably not as enjoyable, might be more painful, more dangerous, whatever, all these different things. Yeah. And so the point is like, how can you structure the way you're spending, kind of thinking through life through different kind of key phases and identifying like where those peaks are where you have more money, maybe you don't have it in your 20s, but you have more to do some of those trips at a certain point, but also not push it off too far. So that was just something that has gotten me thinking a little bit as I'm, you know, in moving into my 40s now and like, what does that look like? And how should I make decisions accordingly? You know, it's just an interesting concept. So out of your book, there's just a lot of great stuff in here. I would recommend people check this book out because like, I just love your perspective. I think you just have such a healthy perspective, especially seeing the hospice side of this, that you're talking to so many people and mm-hmm. getting these answers from them. But one of the questions I want to ask you about is, what do you think, and I think you talked about this at the beginning of the book, financial experts, or I should say financial independence experts, you know, that whole community, like, what do you think that they get wrong about life and about death? 
And we probably touched on this a little bit, but is there anything you want to expand on there? So I think the fire movement especially really got going in 2007, 2008. It was the time of the Great Recession. You had people who were feeling burned out about their jobs and they wanted to grind it out, yeah, make as much money as they could and then get out of their job. And I think it was kind of the old school version. And so what I think they got wrong is this idea that, and I got this wrong too, was the idea that you had to sacrifice a lot in order to be happy at some later date. And I think people who are coming to it now are starting to realize, no, 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 there's a way to actually do this where you both enjoy today as well as save for tomorrow. So there's newer flavors of fire like slow fire or coast (laughs) fire. This idea is that we can both live today, but then also have our money working for us so that at some time in the future, maybe retirement goes a little further out, but we can start having a sense of meaning and purpose today. That's becoming more the norm. So I think the original fire movement got that wrong, that Everything has to be sacrificed and grind in the beginning and that work has to be bad and you don't like it and you need to get away from it as soon as possible. Mm -hmm. One of the other things that I worry about with the fire movement is it really focuses very much on net worth. And I think it focuses very much on the fear of not having enough. Mm-hmm. And I'd really like to change that focus away from the fear of not having enough, especially not having enough money, and move it more towards what tools do we have today to start doing those things that are important to us. So we look at money, and you and I were just talking about money as a tool, but it's one of many tools. Yeah. We have our energy We have our youth, we have our passions, we have our connections with other people, we have our beliefs. All of these things are tools also. So I may not have a lot of that money tool, especially at the beginning of my journey, but look at all these other tools I have. How can I use these to start doing the things I want today? Whether that's within a job or the workplace, because some of us might be lucky enough to use those tools to love our jobs or to recognize our job is a way we make money and then build those other parts of life around so that we use those tools until we also build up that money tool, which can, again, be just one of many that can give us a little more power and strength to do the things we want to do. So I don't like this kind of scarcity feeling that comes with focusing so much on a net worth. And I think the FIRE movement has to move away from that fear. I think the fear better is that we're not living a life of meaning and purpose today. And that only partially, very, very partially has to do with money. Yeah. Yeah. You know, I've never been a huge fire component. I've always been a little bit, I don't know, I applaud the diligence and the effort and the thoughtfulness of solving a problem. And I I appreciate that kind of aggressiveness at solving a problem that most people didn't think could be solved. And I've always loved that. But like with you, I agree, like the aggressiveness, you know, the grindingness or whatever we're talking about here of just the hyper frugality component that kind of seems to be synonymous with a lot of it doesn't really sit well with me. And I completely agree with your approach and what you're talking about there, because it's the same way with paying off debt. I mean, you know, we tend to view debt payoff a little bit different than maybe Dave Ramsey, who is, again, very aggressive, live on rice and beans for three years until you get a payoff, sell everything but the kids and the dog like type of approach. And that's fine. If you want to do that, that's fine. And it'll go faster. But I also don't think that you have to be miserable that whole time. I think you can space it out just a little bit longer and actually have some joy in that season. And so that tends to be how we prefer to roll. And that's how we paid off our debt. And we did it successfully. So I think you can do it either way. But another thing here out of that era, this is interesting for me because so much of my mindset and belief when I started my business was shaped by Tim Ferriss and the four hour work week. And that kind of ties in here a little bit because I 
kind of accidentally ended up like finding myself with a four hour work week and sought out to do that and ended up doing it and building a really passive business and got to the point where it's like, oh, I don't really have to work. I have a passive stream of income that's covering all my expenses. That's really cool in the first six months, maybe even the first year. But after three or four years of that, like it really can weigh on you and really get depressing. If you don't have anything to do, I really struggled with that. There might have been other ways to solve this problem. But for me, like I had to get back into the get my hands dirty and start doing real work again, and interacting with real people and helping solve real problems in order for me to come out of that, what I thought was a pretty depressing season. But I feel like these are kind of tied together, you know? Yeah. You know, it is so common for people who are aggressive about fire or financial independence to hit a place of real depression after they get everything on autopilot. It happened yeah. to me. <laughs> It happens to people all the time. And in fact, I talk in the story about someone I interacted with named Liz as a hospice doctor who actually yeah. fell into a deep depression once she got her finances in order and eventually got into a car accident and died, oh, probably yeah. partially because she was depressed and drinking a little more alcohol and you yeah. know, not sleeping as much and just felt totally out of sorts. Wow. You know, money solves money problems. And in some ways, we use money as a shield in order not to do the harder work of figuring out who we are yeah. and what we want. Wow. And it can yeah. lead to a really empty place when you reach this false goal and you mm -hmm. find that there's emptiness there instead of all that joy you thought there was going to be. And yeah. if you're lucky, you get past that season and you start saying, who do I want to be and what has meaning for me? And then again, you use that tool as fuel to yeah. do the things that really have meaning for you. But a lot of people have trouble doing that because they didn't spend the time up front thinking about meaning, purpose, identity, all that important stuff that's actually the real goal. So that's yeah. where we get stuck. And I've seen many people and felt that depression myself when I found yeah. out I was financially independent and I had no idea if I was going to walk away from this identity of being a doctor, who the heck was I going to be? Yeah, mm -hmm. I just fundamentally believe that we are designed to work and therefore it's just part of who we need to be. And I think it's amplified, like you're saying, by the fact of working so hard to get to this point, to reach this finish line and thinking that that's going to be the thing that makes you happy when honestly, the joy was found in the path to get there, you know, mm -hmm. not after the yeah. finish line. Well, yeah. and I also think we were built for community. I mean, I think a lot of people think, well, I can just be financially independent and I can take care of myself and whatever. But there are so many seasons where I feel like we have needed people to help us in one way or another. Yeah. And then when I see the opportunity to give back and to like a friend of ours just had a baby and I was like, you know what? I can actually take your other kids, bring them to my house, give you some quiet time, let you get a nap in. And I think that to me, it brings so much more satisfaction than if I would to charge her for babysitting. Do you know what yeah, I mean? Yeah. I would rather do it for free because it feels like there's a meaning and a purpose behind it. And that's yeah. obviously a simple example, but yeah, no, that's fair. Yeah. All right. Well, I appreciate you coming on and chat about all this. So new books called in taking stock. And I'm going to read the subtitle here, a hospice doctor's advice on financial independence, building wealth and living a regret-free life. I love it. So I'm super excited to finish the book. So I, I got to start, <laughs> but I want to finish it up. But thank you, Jordan, for taking the time, sharing your thoughts. I love your brilliant mind and I'm excited to do it again. Did we mention his podcast? Oh, yeah. Yeah. Good, um, good. Earn and invest, right? Yep. Earninvest.com. Or you can learn everything about me at Jordan Grummet. That's J-O-R-D-A-N-G-R-U-M-E-T.com. Everything about the book, everything about the podcast. I also have a medical blog that I wrote from 2005 to 2018. That's linked there it. too. So 
I've been awesome. in and around these things for a long time. Yeah, that's great. All right, man. Well, thank you for sharing thank all that you. and yeah. looking forward to chatting again soon. Awesome. Thanks for having me on. Thanks for joining us on the Seed Time Money podcast. And remember, money isn't the goal, but it's simply a tool to help you fulfill your purpose and your calling. And we'd love to help you achieve true financial freedom faster with our email newsletter. So if you want exclusive money tips and hope-filled encouragement in your inbox, head over to seedtime.com to get signed up.